So Minha, welcome to Hopecast. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and Inspirited Minds? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thank you, Papyrus and Hopecast, for hosting myself and uh, on behalf of Inspiration Minds. Uh, so my name is Minha Begum. I'm the head of operations at Inspiration Minds. We were founded in 2013, 2014, sorry, um, on the initial research that our co-founders did um, that found that Muslims and Bain groups didn't seek support for their mental health due to a number of barriers. And those barriers included things like misconceptions around mental health, uh, fear of stigma and shame as well as language barriers um, so on based on that we started a counseling service with a few um, sort of qualified BACB accredited counsellors with an Islamic background um, or qualifications in Islamic psychology or faith-based uh, therapy practices and models um, and you know fast forward seven years we now have over 25 I think BACP accredited counsellors and CB therapists and we offer our counselling in 12 different languages uh, we do on the ground research we have an outreach team that does uh, webinars community events uh, workshops and trainings for uh, imams and community leaders uh, parents and teachers students um in various sort of groups in in the community we have a communications team that handles you know all of our online stuff as well as our um, sort of booklets and resources and our newly launched um im shop as well and our support system is run by our support workers who offer sort of interim support to the people who are looking to receive counseling or just need to have that conversation of whether or not you know some people a lot of people are still unsure in our community what counselling is what it entails so our support workers answer those kinds of questions and nudge them in in direction that they're looking for um so yeah that's us so it just shows from the work that you're doing which is fantastic it's much needed within the muslim community to break that stigma around mental health seeking support and breaking that stigma around suicide as well yeah yeah absolutely so uh the a big portion of our work is actually you know just completely around raising awareness of the importance of mental health and trying to break that cycle of stigma and that cycle of shame um and breaking down those um you know those taboo uh sort of concepts around mental health um you know increasing so sort of um psycho slash religious education around mental health and generally normalizing the conversation um and just you know flipping the narrative a little bit um as the the role that religion and faith and culture can play in one's mental health and well-being rather than seeing it as a set of rituals that people simply have to you know just do in a day as that's quite common for a lot of people in the muslim community and generally people of faiths i believe um so actually looking to religion and see how we can find you know things like hope and resilience and optimism um and compassion so we do a lot of work around around flipping the narrative. And it, it just shows that need is there. And unfortunately, you know, within the Muslim community, suicide is is a massive stigma. Why do you think this is like why are people afraid to reach out for support? And unfortunately, feel like suicide is their only option. That's a really big question. <laughs> um, and and um, there's there's a lot that that can be said. Um I guess the main the the main issues or the main barriers that prevent people from speaking about suicide or you know let's step back a little bit and you know even 
the idea of talking about suicide for some people is is just a no-go they just wouldn't do it and there's a number of reasons for that I think firstly there's a big misconception in in the the various religious faith groups I'm sure but particularly in the Muslim community is that if if someone is unhappy quote unquote unhappy with their life which of course everyone thinks is depression, anxiety, OCD, and et cetera. Um, like un- unhappiness is an umbrella term <laughs> used for all mental health problems. Uh, so if someone is unhappy or unsatisfied with their life and what has been destined for them, then that either means that they're not praying enough. It means that Allah, so God, is angry with them or um, that they're ungrateful and they don't have enough trust in God um, so that's number one. Um, so it can be quite a, a like a personal religious attack, um, which which is you know just just completely you know not relevant to the situation in most times. Of course, like I said previously, we do see religious obligations as a way of building resilience, as as a protective factor, as a way of obtaining optimism and hope. Um, but we don't we don't see it as you know this is the reason why you're experiencing mental health issues number two would be again the stigma and the shame uh simply admitting that actually i'm having suicidal thoughts or i have suicidal feelings or i have thoughts about you know ending my life in xyz way um can be seen as something quite controversial something that probably a lot of people do think about but it's one of those things that you just don't say out loud it's like this big elephant in the room um and you, it's one of those things that are swept under the carpet and a lot of people think that it will be solved you know with prayer and you know increased supplication and just remembering god more a lot of people think that's the only sort of treatment or remedy to to the suicidal feelings or suicidal thoughts another one is sort of there's this a big misconception that <clears throat> God is our ultimate doctor. So if he has sent down an illness or he has given us a test, then he's also the only one that can give it, you know, take it away or give us a remedy or give us a solution. Although we ultimately believe this, however, in Islam, we there's a saying of the Prophet, peace be upon him, where you know he told one of his companions that you know you should tie your camel and also pray that Allah keeps your camel safe. And if we apply this to different situations, we pray that Allah will help us, but we also take advantage of the means that Allah has given us. So what has God given around us? So he's given us doctors and GPs and medication, and he's given us talking therapies and, you know, water therapy and animal pet therapy, whatever it is. So by ignoring the means that God has given us, we're ultimately not taking his help. So those are the sort of main misconceptions that we have around mental health and um, and suicide in, in the Muslim community. And I guess the biggest one is that in, in our faith, in, in Islam, suicide is seen um, as something impermissible because we know that um, our bodies are just a vehicle for our soul in in this in this life and it's a trust given to us by God and so it's our responsibility to take care of it mentally physically spiritually and socially um so by you know taking our own lives or dying by suicide it would be 
seen as a massive dissatisfaction to to God. So that's also another reason why it's not spoken about because it's just because something is something isn't supposed to be done it's immediately no we're not supposed to talk about it either but by not talking about it we're actually making the whole thing worse and worse and escalating it a lot of people are snowballing like you like you said at the beginning a lot of people feel that actually the only option is suicide and and it's such it's such a complicated one you know there's no right or wrong answer and Unfortunately, when there is a suicide in the family, the family tend to shut down and they don't discuss the person who's died or why they've chose to end the life. And it is, it's a really complicated one. And that's, that stigma is very much there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also, I was just speaking to a colleague not long ago, actually, about how um, she, you know, someone in her family uh, died by suicide. Um and she was saying how her local mosque refused to organize the burial of her family relative because um, there is such a misconception around somebody dying by suicide in the Muslim community because it's seen as something sinful, something that's impermissible. They kind of wash their hands of that person, which goes completely against all of our teachings about being compassionate, God being the ultimate, you know, judge, um, you know, us, Islam is very collectivist. So we look out for each other. Um, you know, we thrive by supporting one another. Uh, it's a very solution focused religion. And it's a very, uh, you know, our communities are very solution focused and very, um, we have a very like a, a togetherness kind of mentality. And um, I don't know how technical I can get, but this, this thought of um, not, burying or completing the rituals of burial and the funeral prayer on somebody who has died by suicide stems from a narration um, during the the prophet peace be upon him's life where he didn't attend the funeral of one of his companions that died by suicide uh, but he encouraged all of his other companions by saying you should go you need to fulfill your rights as as a as a companion of this person who's died but I'm not going to go because I don't want to normalize suicide I don't want to normalize this behavior and so this this concept of uh washing your hands of someone who's died by suicide comes from this but it is gravely gravely misunderstood and so there needs to be a lot of work around that actually um you know challenging common sort of misconceptions that we see in our communities like no no faith group is perfect even though you know I fully believe Islam is perfect I do know that it's Muslims is the followers of this religion who have probably you know skewed it up a little bit um you know misunderstand some texts take it literally not understanding it in in context of that time and how it can apply to us because you know we believe islam is throughout time for whatever situation it is there's always something that's like i said it's very solution focused um so yeah i just want to give you a bit of background on you know why that can also be a, a contributing factor to the stigma and the shame is you know, well, if if someone dies by suicide, then they're not going to get the right kind of burial and they're not going to get the right kind of funeral prayer. And, you know, they're not going to get what is owed upon them 
for example so that might put people off from admitting yeah my my cousin or my relative or my wife has died by suicide um so there needs to be a lot of work done around that a lot of understanding we need to sort of revive the compassion around you know the the funeral rights the funeral obligations that we have upon someone regardless of how they died no no and it does not it it's that that understanding and that background around it that somebody who's maybe not in the Muslim community wouldn't understand or so it, it is really insightful to think that's where those misconceptions can come from do you think generationally mean how that's something that can happen so like the young generation where we like to think of ourselves we're more open about talking about mental health and suicide you know young Muslims might be more open about the conversation mm-hmm. but generationally do you think that's where the state comes from might be the parents and the great grandparents and they have that idea that's maybe why they don't want to talk about how they're really feeling so I I could talk about intergenerational trauma and impact for years (laughs) um but it's it's kind of two-pronged um so I'll start with the elder generation um so my own personal experience I know this is going to be the experience of a lot of our listeners um so I'm a second generation expert so my parents came over to this country in the sort of 19 late 90 early 1970s late 1980s um and when they came here they experienced a lot of racism a lot of Islamophobia um you know their their lifestyle the the way you know the living conditions you know weren't like how it is today the opportunities wasn't like how it is today you know my mum um hopped from hostel to hostel uh you know my dad used to work really far away um you know we're living off like sardines and rice for a few months at a time um so they had it super super tough like really really tough conditions that we cannot even imagine um and condition you know and they worked hard to make sure that we have and had a life that they you know they never got or they never had the chance to because for the elder generation the muslim community it was all about survival it was all about you know we've made this journey to make sure that our children have opportunities have an education have a chance at getting a career you know have a chance of living life enjoying their childhood that they didn't get so for example my dad started working when he was 10 years old you know he was a, a washer upper in a takeaway and he worked his way up so he only went to school for a few months he learned how to read and write English he did what he had to do and then he left school to just start working and providing for his family in Bangladesh because he was the only son um, my granddad passed away when he was really young as well um, so yeah so my my dad at the age of 10 became the sole provider for his family so he had to make that journey but equally by making that journey you know he he said okay when I have children they're not going to experience this so our parents were all about survival you know surviving the conditions making the most out of what they've got um you know making do with what they have they never had the chance to and I don't I don't want to invalidate or dilute the experiences of the younger generation nowadays me being part of that generation but they didn't have the time to journal they didn't have the time to self-reflect they didn't have the time to have therapy what is therapy you know why waste time and money talking to someone about their problems when they need to go out and work and provide they need to make sure that their kids have food on the table um you know they need to do other things um so it's all about priorities and their mental health and well-being 
was never a priority. They just made do with what they had in that situation and they survived and they did it. So given their circumstances for that time, for, for that time and place, their context, it made sense what they had to do. It made sense why their mental health and well-being wasn't a priority because we all know the fight or flight, um, um, you know, scenario. And for them, they were in constantly, you know, fight. They were in constantly fight mode. They were constantly trying to survive, constantly trying to do something. Whereas us nowadays, we don't, we don't have that. We don't have to fight, you know, luckily we're very blessed. We don't, majority of us don't have to work really hard to get a meal on the table. Majority of us have a bit of free time. Majority of us have smartphones. We have entertainment. Um, You know, we uh, cherish and prioritize our mental health and self-care, but all of these concepts are really alien to the older generation. And so sometimes this is where the notion of people who experience mental health issues and unhappiness and dissatisfaction with their lives, the older generation might think this as ungrateful because their, their thinking is, well, I had it much worse than you and I survived. What is this mental health? What is this depression? What are you talking about anxiety? So from their point of view, it's ingratitude or it's, you know, you're not making the most of what you've got, or I didn't have all of this and yet I still made it. I didn't have depression. I didn't have to have therapy. I didn't take medication. So that's where that misconception can come from. And this is obviously passed on intergenerationally. There was a long time where I thought maybe I am being ungrateful actually, and maybe I don't need therapy. Maybe I just need to work harder. You know, my parents did it, so can I. So these kind of misconceptions can be passed on through time. I think it is really fascinating when you when we talk about that thing, and it it is almost like toxic positivity, isn't it? Saying, oh, you know, look at them; they've they've got it worse than you, and yeah. I had it worse, and it does suppress and disregard what you're going through as well. And but then you think, oh, I can't bring that up to my mum and dad; I yeah. can't mention that to my to my grandparents because they they literally like say they walked thousands of miles, they, they yeah. worked hard, they had to build the lives together and there's me feeling like I've got anxiety and depression sort of things so you don't want to bring that up so I completely understand where that yeah. where that stigma comes from yeah and I think um so yeah so as I was saying you know for them in that circumstance situation it fit right it made sense so for them to then see us in our circumstances and you know all these treasures that we have it doesn't make sense to them and I think for the younger generation, so for my generation, like I said, we have all of these things that they never had, but th- they were all about fight or flight. They were for survival, right? Our generation is about self-actualizing. Like we have the chance. And I, and I think that's something that the older generation forget is not only did they give us the opportunity to be educated, to have a career, to have good living conditions, to have, you know, all these luxuries. They've also given us the opportunity to take care of ourselves. And I don't think that's emphasized enough with the older generation. So for what we think, so what we say is taking care of ourselves, they see it as ungrateful or they see it as this is unnecessary, you know? Um, so for us, I think yes we have that opportunity to take care of ourselves we have the opportunity to self-reflect we have things like talking therapies and medication and access to mental health support however for the for, for the younger generation so for my generation I think 
the, it's like a combined, we have like a, a double or triple barrier, right? You know, mental health generally in all communities is already stigmatized. So we already have that. Then we have the stigma and the shame from the L generation as Bain groups, as Muslims. So there's that. Then number three, we have this added layer of this isn't acceptable in our religion. So we have like a triple sort of barrier kind of going on. So, yeah, so for when the elder generation, you know, my parents, my aunties, my uncles, forget, you know, suicide or suicidal feelings, suicidal thoughts, just simply being unhappy, dissatisfied with life is already what on earth is wrong with you. So imagine if we were to disclose, you know, mom, I'm actually feeling quite suicidal, you know, she'd lose it. She'd be like, what are you talking about? This life I've worked so hard to give you and you're saying you don't want it. That's that's quite black and white. And that's how our parents and the older generation see it. There's no sort of gray area. Whereas our our generation, um, well, my generation, <coughs> we, know, we know and understand that there is a gray area, actually. We know that ultimate ultimate happiness and contentment doesn't lie in opportunities it actually lies in self-reflection how well we know ourselves how much we can regulate ourselves and our parents maybe never had the chance to process their trauma maybe they never needed to um but we've now been given all that all that trauma we now have the additional trauma of things that our parents didn't have so for example my parents didn't really understand islamophobia they couldn't really speak a lot of english so when people insulted them or when people were racist towards them they didn't really get it they didn't understand they just thought it was you know people being you know quite haughty people being you know just loud and rude whereas i understand islamophobia i understand racism so that's going to impact me more perhaps than what my parents did for example they didn't really have this identity crisis because when they came over here the generation either completely integrated with white western culture or they stuck very firm to their roots and that never bothered them they weren't really they weren't brought up in the educational system in state schools like we were whereas we were so we did have an identity crisis there's a a number of things that they experienced we would never have imagined there's a number of things that we have also experienced that they never will So there's this big sort of understanding clash happening and there's this big sort of intergenerational imbalance and I had it harder than you, but we have it harder than you now kind of thing going on. Um, So I I personally believe from observation, from research and just generally me being in the situation, I personally believe that this is where it all stems from is there's a lot of there's a lot of not wanting to understand what the other generation has gone through. So I know I've kind of, beating around the bush around suicide but the background is we can't even talk about simple mental health issues let alone suicide and when we do bring suicide into the picture it's immediately shut down it's like no that's not a conversation that we're going to have because it's sinful you know it's complete ingratitude and um you know it's just unacceptable So for a Muslim, a young Muslim who is feeling suicidal, who has suicidal thoughts and feelings, where are they supposed to go? 
what are they supposed to do? You know, this is this a God-given feeling? It's a God-given thought that they've got. It's a test. That's how we see it in Islam. This is a test that's been given to you. And you have to make do with what's within your means, what you support you have around you. Uh, you have to, you know, ask God, pray to God, do your rituals, whatever you need to do, um, <clears throat> and seek support for it. But that's what the problem is, is because it's so stigmatized, because it's so misunderstood, young people aren't getting support for it. Young people aren't reaching out for help. Young people aren't telling the people that they should be telling that actually I'm not, I'm not feeling too good and I'm feeling suicidal and I have these kinds of thoughts. So there's a huge sort of, you know, background to why there is stigma and shame around it. Um, but I, I don't think it can be diluted. I don't think there is a simple answer to your question, unfortunately. But it, it, again, it's because it's such a complicated one. There's so much historic facts and what goes around it and factors that could contribute to people feeling this way and why not to bring it up. But it just shows the importance of having groups like Inspirited Minds that are targeted for young people and families who are experiencing mental health and breaking that stigma around talking about suicides and how they're actually feeling and getting the support that they need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um you know, one thing that we work really hard towards is actually normalising the conversation around mental health, thus leading to normalising conversation around suicide. Not in a way that promotes suicide, but acknowledges that actually this is a problem because sometimes that's all people need is acknowledgement, you know, um, that it's not just all in their head. And validation, you know, if there's one thing we really are, awful at it's validating people and their experiences um because it's shut down immediately um and it's just you know looking at the the religion differently and through you know one thing that we really encourage at Inspiration Minds is don't just blindly follow what you've been taught you know investigate be curious you know God tells us in the Quran you know be curious ask questions um you know, reflect upon what I have created. Um, you know, don't blindly follow other people. Um, come to your own decision. You know, it's not it's not forceful. Religion isn't forceful. Um, you know, and it's not supposed to be difficult. So when a religious activity does become difficult, then it's an issue. What have we done to mess up? What's gone wrong here? Um, and there are numerous, numerous narrations and you know, religious references and guides that we have that actually tell us, you know, preserving one life is like preserving and saving all of mankind. So helping someone get out of, you know, potentially dying by suicide is like saving all of mankind. So how can we as a Muslim community say, we don't talk about suicide? Do you know what I mean? It's it's very contradictory. You know, and there's the the prophet peace be upon him was the most compassionate of people the most empathic you know he you know he um gave us a metaphor that said the you know the whole muslim community worldwide is like one body and one when one limb is in pain the rest of the body is in pain is feverish and is, is hurting so it really encourages, Islam really encourages empathy. And, you know, there's other narrations like the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, I would much rather help my brother 
in need than you know be in prayer in isolation and this was his most beloved act of, of worship is is to be in prayer and be completely alone with his god um but he said that he would he, he'd much rather help someone in need if he needed to so this idea of not helping and supporting people with mental health problems is is massively miscued um and you know I like going back to a previous point the reason why we normalize these conversations is you know I was once I I, I once led like a youth group uh, at my local mosque and um you know one of the girls was experiencing you know suicidal feelings and um I sort of overheard the conversation she told her friend and her friend was like we're in a mosque you can't talk about these kinds of things and I was like no if there's one place you need to talk about it, it should be in the mosque, you know? This is a safe space. You should be able to speak about it here. And I was so disheartened. I was like, why? Why was she made to feel like she couldn't, or why did she think you couldn't speak about su- su- suicidal feelings in the mosque? So I think there needs to be a lot of work done in community spaces, open faith spaces, actually making them safe spaces, not just religious spaces, not just somewhere to come and do your religious you know, obligations. Um, because you know over the years islam has been massively diluted to just praying five times a day reading the quran now and then you know making supplication asking god for specific things wearing the hijab for example it's been diluted to these very visible and you know numbered actions whereas helping someone you know talking about something that's bothering someone giving someone ease easing their distress these are all acts of worship um so so normalizing the conversation at inspiration minds is something that you know we're very very big on something we massively advocate advocate that's why a lot of our blogs and our articles um are written sort of jargon free because we like we want to make it accessible we want this to be so our newsletter for example when I first started doing the newsletters I was like you know what I want this to be a letter from a friend I want this to be as if someone is speaking to me about their mental health or just about mental health generally. And so that's what we did. And we get a lot of positive, you know, comments. A lot of people reply back saying, you know, this is exactly what I needed. You know, this is, oh, how come I've never heard about mental health being sp- spoken about like this? A lot of people are like, you know, actually, you know, I, I remember one comment we had um, was from a brother who said, you know, I think about suicide so much, think about it on a daily basis, but it was, think you know reading this email reading this newsletter made me think about suicide differently um made me uh, you know he was uh, sort of I'm paraphrasing but it was sort of like it didn't make me feel as alien for example so even if we're not having face-to-face conversations about it th- these conversations that we are having they are having a ripple effect um and I was speaking to a friend yesterday you know the inspiration mindset was very very lucky enough to get training by papyrus um your speak training and um I was speaking to a colleague about it afterwards and I was sort of saying you know there was a lot of quite you know a lot of information that really shocked me and really you know really took me aback um and I was sort of saying you know how come we don't talk about suicide enough because because we don't talk about it enough, because it's not a part of everyday conversation, um, it's so alienated. This is why it's such a taboo, because people just think we don't talk about it. And don't get me wrong, we have a long way to go. But for example, with mental health, 
when we started back in 2014, got a lot of backlash for it. A lot of people were like, this is an innovation. This is something new to the religion. You don't, we don't talk about this, right? Fast forward seven, eight years later, it's becoming more and more accepted. A lot of people are seeking help. For the first time in history, we have got a, a, a waiting line for counseling, which has never happened before. You know, we have so many questions coming through our anonymous Q&A. Um, you know, a lot of people are requesting a lot more talks to be happening in mosques and community centers. So I think the mental health conversation is happening. And eventually, the suicide conversation will also happen, but the ball need, the ball needs to start rolling, right? Um, so this is why I make it a thing. Uh, I'm, I make it quite obvious that I'm open to talking about suicide. This is why we do podcasts like this, to increase that conversation, to normalise it. And to anyone listening, whether they're Muslim or not, you know, they might, they might either be able to help a friend who is a Muslim, or they may even be able to just you know, um, put this war or turmoil they might have inside them to a little bit of ease, really, because that's what it's all about. It's making it, you know, we don't promise to take away anyone's problems overnight. We, what we do promise is let's just make it a little bit easier. Do you know what I mean? Because that's can, that can then what can lead to the prevention of someone taking their life or, um, you know, dying by suicide. Can I go back to something that you said a moment ago around the intergenerational response to, I suppose, the stigma around suicide? And I just wondered kind of how um, how far that stigma stretches, because obviously we have quite a lot of fundraisers and supporters from the Muslim community who will support Papyrus. And obviously during Ramadan, there's quite a charitable element, isn't there? We have um, people on social media who will create videos during, during Ramadan to talk about Papyrus and why it's important. In a situation like that, how is that? It's just more out of curiosity. How is that kind of received, I suppose, by that older generation with young supporters supporting a charity like Papyrus? Would would it be talked would suicide be talked about in that situation? Um, or would would that be stigmatized as well? So firstly, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. A lot of the older generation don't have access to social media, don't have access to the internet. So if their children or people they knew were doing stuff online, they probably wouldn't have a clue. Um, which you know can be is actually quite good for the younger generation because it means that they can have access to a lot of mental health support and psycho you know psychosocial education um, without the fear of their parents finding out or the fear of their parents you know stigma, stigmatizing them um, that's a different note um, but to answer your question firstly they probably wouldn't know um, or and secondly it's funny because people are happy to talk about often what I've seen anyway people are okay to talk about suicide or mental health when it comes to other people's families so they would say oh you know it's really sad so and so son died by suicide or so and so son is in hospital because they had a breakdown you know may Allah make it easy for them but when it comes to their own family, their own children, their own siblings, it's almost like, no, people can't find out, you know, because it's almost as if we don't trust other people to be as compassionate or as empathic as us, which is very toxic in itself. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of communities are like this. Um, 
but yeah, I think generally the conversation around mental health and suicide is being slowly accepted. People are happy to talk about it kind of generally. Sometimes even negatively, some people might say, oh, this suicide nonsense is nothing. You know, how can someone want to take their own life when Allah has given it to them? You know, they're ungrateful. So, you know, I don't know how true some conversation is better than no conversation is here. I don't think that's very healthy or positive, but people are happy to talk about it generically, I'm sure, or when it comes to other people. But the issue arises when it's their own. So Nina, as a member of the Muslim community, how can um, you know young people or concerns of a start of that conversation around mental health and suicide how can they make that part of the norm and part of the everyday you know you know there's so far we need to move but how can they, they start that conversation I think you know if we start at a very very low level it can be something as simple as sharing stuff on social I think social media is an amazing incredible powerful tool if used correctly um it can be as simple as sharing a post, right? Or sharing a story. Everyone's mad about Twitter quotes nowadays, right? Um, it can be as simple as sharing something like that because there will be someone that sees that and is like, oh, this isn't something that people would usually share, right? Let's have a conversation. Or that, that person who is on the receiving end of your share of your post or whatever might be like, hey, I could potentially talk to this person because I think they get it. I think they might understand, Right can be something as simple as that it can be you know these campaign national awareness days they're not there for the nothing right so using world mental health day time to talk you know using these times by saying hey did you know it's xyz day today i was wondering what your experiences were or um what do you think about this you know i think the more we try to make it a thing the bigger and harder it gets so the more we slip it into daily kind of conversations, the easier and more normal it will become. I'll give you an example. When I first started working in mental health, my parents did not understand what it was. You know, my mom would tell people like, oh, my daughter's a brain doctor. Where she, you know, where she, because mental health didn't really exist. Suicide doesn't, the, the word for suicide doesn't actually exist in a lot of, a lot of languages. It's not a, a term that's been coined yet. It's usually a sentence or a phrase. So in Bangla, for example, I can't think of what suicide is from the top of my head. So if someone did die by suicide, I would tell my mom, someone died by X, Y, Z. But I wouldn't be able to give you a word in Bangla that is suicide, for example. So, yeah, so when I first started working in mental health, they just didn't get it. So I stopped trying to explain to them. And then, you know, just little things about like the world. So for example, I'll take my mom swimming and I'll tell her, you know, this is really good for your well-being. Physical activity releases like endorphins, happy hormones, right? And it's just little things like that. And now slowly, slowly, she's starting to understand. She's curious. She's having those conversations with me. She's getting it. You know, the other day I um I was talking to her um and she chose not to do some activity, some house chore or something. She was like, she's really tired. And I said, Mom, that's really good self-care. You know, you listen to yourself. That's really good for your mental health. Well done. 
And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. Whereas if I told her that a few years ago, she's like, what on earth are you talking about? I've got so much to do. Don't tell me I've done a good thing because I've got like a huge list of things to do, right? So it's bringing, you know, it's picking up a little things and bringing them into conversation. Like I'm a very big advocate of self-care. So when someone tells me like, oh, I'm so tired, I didn't get to do this. I'm like, no, that's really good self-care. Well done. You know, be proud of that. Because in that moment, you chose what's good for you. And God will be pleased with that because you didn't make something difficult for yourself. Allah doesn't want to make things difficult for you. So why do we as human beings make things difficult for ourselves, right? So number one is doing these simple little things, you know, making these kinds of conversations, dropping it in where you can. Number two would be going to your mosques, your community leaders, your imams, the people in your communities who have, you know, status and authority, who have say, who have opinion, who can make a difference. And say mental health is a big problem in our communities, not as in mental health illness, as in it's affecting people and we're not talking about it. Our community members don't know where to go. You know, they don't know how to help themselves. This is also your responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility to take care of everyone. What can we do about it? You know, they can get training, hosting more talks in the community centers and workshop uh, in mosques, hosting more workshops, how to help yourselves, how to help other people, identifying the signs and symptoms of like common mental health problems, how to have conversations around suicide, for example. Um, you know, so starting at a very personal level, moving on to more communal level and then working up from from there basically but I think the number one thing anyone listens to this I think the number one thing you could do is equipping yourself with the right tools on how to identify it within yourself and if someone comes to you for support how how do you help that person how do you manage that situation that's number one I think personally because I think that's what helped me um you know I used to have a friend back in the days who uh had a very severe eating disorder that's one of the reasons why I went into mental health um and um when she asked me for support I was like I don't know how to do this I don't know what to tell you and I used to just be like you know maybe just eat a little bit do you know what I mean because I was so misinformed I didn't get the situation and um so that's when I was like okay well I clearly need to understand mental health and whatever it is she's going through a little bit better so I can support her and so I did so if there's something that you don't understand, if there's something that you don't know how to do, learn, you know, Google is right there. Um, you know, there's lots of, you know, courses and online, you know, Papyrus have an amazing training system that you can, you can teach yourselves and knowledge is power, right? Um, knowledge is better than memorization. Knowledge is, you know, better than acting out of ignorance. Um, knowledge is deliberation. Um, so actually investing time and energy into educating yourself in order to potentially preserve a person's life is probably the single most important thing you could ever do. That's fantastic advice. And, you know, there's no doubt that'll help save lives within the Muslim community. But what would you say to somebody in your community who may be experiencing suicidal thoughts? They might be bottling things up, feeling like this is my only option or it could be a concern. Or what would you say to them? I would say that whatever you're feeling right now it's a god-given feeling right so whatever god-given things you have around you use them okay and you know as difficult as it might be you have to accept that what you're going through is temporary right nothing in this world is forever um whatever you're feeling is temporary 
and it will move through you you have to get the right tools you have to speak to the right people in order to help yourself right because Allah tells us in the Quran that he will not burden a soul with more than it can bear so Allah already knows that you have the resilience you have the strength you have the power within you you just need a little bit of help a little bit of a nudge to just bring it out of you okay Allah also tells us in the Quran that after every hardship there is ease and there is ease your ease is coming you just have to go looking for it a little bit so whether that's going to your GP you know admitting what it is that's going on for you whether that's reaching out to some of your support networks where you feel safe. And I feel like that's very key. Sometimes people in your support network might not be the best people to go to these with these kinds of problems. So seek out the people that are the safest people for you in your support work and for, for this situation. Get help, you know, speak to the right kinds of people, Papyrus, Inspiration Minds, um, there's Muslim Youth Helpline, Mind Works UK, there's a lot out there. Get, you know, seek out, re- reach out. That's the most important thing, you know. And Allah tells us if you... If you come one step towards me, I will come 10 steps towards you. Allah will meet you halfway. We have to make the first step. And that first step is admitting what's going on, surrendering surrendering yourself to whatever it is that Allah has provided around you, making use of those means. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Nina, for joining us. No problem. Thank you so much, Papyrus. I've had a really... Uh, really nice time discussing with you guys and to anyone uh, listening you know I sincerely pray that you are able to overcome whatever it is that you're that you're feeling and able to overcome it um, with ease and come over, come out of it much stronger more resilient more connected with yourself and more connected with God Thank you so much for listening to Papyrus Hopecast and for your part in making suicide part of the conversation. Sometimes listening to these stories can be difficult. If you're a young person struggling with thoughts of suicide or if you're worried about a young person, you can contact Hopeline UK on 0800 068 4141 via text on 078600 or via email on pat at papyrus-uk.org.